This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am so fucking excited for today's episode. I have been excited since I first recorded it. I cannot wait for you to meet my guest for today. So sit back, grab a cocktail. We are talking all things polyamory today. Welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. So as you guys know, I do hundreds of interviews and podcasts and guest appearances, and it's very rare that I will go on and do a podcast and really connect with the person that I'm talking to. Um, It's happened a few times, and um, this girl just really blew me away. Um, So I first went on and spoke about, you know, my journey and Eat, Pray, FML and all the things on her podcast, which is called Live Your Fuck Yes Life. Um, So if that wasn't a reason for me to (laughs) go on and uh, accept that interview, then I don't know what was. So I go on and I talk with her and then I start, you know, we totally vibed and she's just such a light and got this really beautiful energy. And then I start finding out all these really, really interesting things about her. First of all, the fact that she also wrote a book called I Chopped Off My Tits when she found out that she had the breast cancer gene. Um, and the the story of her finding out and like how she decided to make such a big decision, it was really powerful to listen to. So I urge you guys to go pick up a copy of her book. If you, I mean, it's not like you can't remember the title. I chopped off my tits. Um, just she's just my kind of girl. <laughs> um, you can tell from the book title, from her podcast title, like we just got along really well. And then I start following her on social media, and all of her TikTok videos are st- explaining that not only is she polyamorous, but her you know story behind it and really starting to detail and explain the ins and outs of polyamory. And obviously, you know, we had Whitney Miller on a couple episodes ago and she kind of touched on it and we talked about monogamy versus polyamory and what it was like for her to be in an open relationship. And so, of course, I know what polyamory is, but I never really got to sit down with someone who is polyamorous and be able to dive in and ask all the questions and all the things that I've always been curious about and someone who's living that life and open about it that's able to to share the insights and ins and outs and like how it works um, in the different dynamics. So this interview was so fucking interesting. I was sitting there sometimes with my mouth hanging open, sometimes like just nodding in amazement and she was so open and so like just took any question and shared her story, you know, which it, it she's just a wonderful person. So without further ado, I want to bring on Miss Amanda Catherine Loy to talk to us not only about her personal incredible journey, but also all of the ins and outs and highs and lows and everything you've always been curious about. 
regarding polyamory. Here we go. Miss Amanda Catherine Loy, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to FML Talk. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here with you. It's so cool because normally, you know, I do a lot of podcast interviews on other people's podcasts and, you know, everybody's really sweet and great. And sometimes I connect with people more than others. But when I came onto your show, I was like, oh, I have to have her on FML talk. You have such an incredible story and I'm so excited to like dive into it all with you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. I knew as soon as I found you, I was like, this is my human. Our people are like the same kind of people. And I was like, not only do I think we're going to like really vibe from a, you know, business standpoint and like what we do in terms of like the work in the world, but also just as humans, I was like, yep, this is a human to human that like I need to know. So yes, I love it. I love it. Um, so (laughs) why don't we start with you kind of giving everybody a backstory of your story? Cause I know you've, you've been through it in a lot of different ways. You, you wrote a book about it, um, which Mm -hmm. I can't wait to read. So kind of give everybody the lay of the land before we jump into the meatiness of the, the episode. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I never know where to start because I've had, I feel like I've lived so many lives over the last like six years. Um, yeah, and so much that. of, so much of what I teach kind of like ebbs and flows into all of it. But the, the, the meat and potatoes is that for, you know, most of college and my early, 20s into mid 20s, I was navigating a cycle of eating disorders, like pretty rough stuff. My my cycle looked mostly between binge eating and orthorexia, and a lot of like limiting my wait. What is ortho- what is orthorexia? Orthorexia is when you choose to work off your calories with exercise. Oh, um, got it. And you are really particular with your food too. It's it's you know, it's like I was under eating, but I was also binge eating at the same time. So I never really knew and qualified it as an eating disorder for many years because I was like, well, I'm, I'm eating like shit, you know, at night. And then during the day, I'm not really eating a lot, but you know, and, um, I was an actor, I still am. Um, and so, you know, the, the messaging, especially in the theater world is very much like you have to look a certain way in order to be successful and all sorts of stuff. So that was a lot of my story. And that's originally what got me into the entrepreneurial world is I was so, so tired of not feeling like there were any resources for somebody navigating binge eating specifically like ED recovery treatment centers. Sure. But I felt like I was in this middle ground and I just felt so out of control out of my body. And I wanted to find health that wasn't being on a diet and like all this bullshit diet culture industry. So that's what kind of launched my step into entrepreneur world. And I started coaching in that space for a few years. And then um, in January of 2018, I finally decided to get tested for the BRCA gene, which is uh, linked to breast and ovarian cancer. And it's genetically passed on. My dad, I knew already knew my dad had it. My dad's mom passed away from breast cancer when he was 18. So I was finally ready to find out if that was something I was going to also have to navigate because if you have the gene, your chances of breast cancer are like astronomically high. Like my chance was 85%. Um, so I found out in February, two days after my 27th birthday that I was in fact positive and, um, the rest of that year spent mentally preparing and also in some ways physically preparing for, uh, getting a preventative double mastectomy, which happened in December, 2018. And, that really transformed my life in a way I didn't anticipate. It shifted so much of the work I do. It also shifted so much of myself and my mental health focus. And so much of that year was like navigating so many fears and working through the, the, the like lead up to trauma because it was like yeah. inevitable physical trauma, but also navigating you know, like how that was going to impact my body and my body dysmorphia and all sorts of stuff. And then the aftermath of that process. Um, and then I started just really sharing my story. Like the whole year I was sharing really publicly on Instagram because there was nobody talking about it. And a big part of why, you know, I ended up writing my book, I chopped off my tits was because I was so mad that there were no resources for anybody my age or really at all about this gene, about this process, um, even in the cancer world. And I have so many friends who are in their twenties who've gotten breast cancer because they found a lump themselves. I have, I know so many people who ended up getting, you know, stage four cancer and have passed away in their twenties because they didn't have the knowledge. And also just like, don't have the support and feel so alone in the process of navigating all these fears. 
And so before I knew it, you know, a couple months after my surgery, I was in Jamaica with my mom. She had like booked us a trip to like let the boobs out, so to speak for the first time. And, um, I started writing mostly for me. I think we identify in this way very much. So in the way that we've written both of our books, but yeah, I started writing. And before I knew it, I was like, I think I'm writing a book, mom. I was like 7,000 words in on one day and it just kind of happened and fell out of my body. And, um, it was birthed, you know, at the end of 2019. And that's how I feel too, that like, it's like a birthing thing that just like fully something is in you that has to come has out. To come out. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was like a baby. Uh, it still feels like my baby in a lot of ways. Um, Genius yeah, title, by the and- way. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that's what so it good. felt like though. I was like, I'm removing this part of myself, you know? And I mean, we could talk about that forever, but yeah. So that was a big part of my story. And that kind of shifted so much of, I think, I think deciding to take action in that space was like the last piece of the puzzle of attacking fear with intention for the first Mm -hmm. time in my life, instead of allowing fear to hold me back. And that opened the door to so many other places, like my queerness and really owning that part of myself, which I had unconsciously repressed for so many years. And then, you know, also the last couple of years I've been really navigating personally, you know, what I want love to look like and how I want to form relationships in my life and how that's really shifted, which I know we're going to get into. So, yeah, I mean, that's there. I could talk forever about all these things, but that's kind of the nutshell. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. It's unbelievable to, I love that you said facing fear with intention, like that's, that's so powerful and it must've been a really weighted and heavy decision to be like, okay, well I could not go under this like massive surgery that's going to really affect, like you said, my body dysmorphia and like trigger a lot of those things that I've, you know, had in the past, or I can just, you know, try and hope that it'll be okay. Like, and then live with the the thought that that could come back and bite you in the ass. And it's, it's a yeah. really heavy decision to have yeah. to make. You know, it's interesting because the decision to get my surgery was not the hard thing for me because I already knew going into my test that if I knew I was positive, mm-hmm. that I was going to go through it. Right. it it was the decision to actually find out if I was positive for the gene or not. Got that it. was yeah. so hard for me. Um, you know, there's a lot of other parts of having the BRCA gene that, you know, I have yet to personally actually really focus on, which is my, the ovarian cancer component of it. And that's, it's whole, a whole other thing for me, like my, my tits were challenging to consider removing, but for me, it was like, okay, I can die of cancer or I can cut my boobs off. Like for me, there wasn't a question. Um, you know, the, the going into menopause at 35, cause you have to have a full hysterectomy. That's another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I, my therapist, when we were navigating all that stuff, I was like, she's like, let's not even worry about that for a few years. She's like, like tip of the iceberg. Let's, let's just stay over here. The back burner. I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds good. Cause I don't want to now I'm like, you know, I hit, hit my 30th birthday a few months ago and I'm like, I guess I should probably start thinking about that. Right. (laughs) It like, it like changes your own personal timeline. You know, you like no longer have control over, you know, the timeline of your life in a lot of ways. 
hundred percent. So you didn't, did you, did you know that you had, you know, that you were what by, would you call yourself? Yeah. yeah did bisexual. you know that you were, you were by before all of this and then you just didn't say anything or you, it was so suppressed that like you weren't even like conscious of it? Yeah. I, so I, I came out as bi at the same time as I came out as Polly, which I know we're going to be talking about a lot in this episode. Um, and that was when I was 28 and I was, you know, uh, what, like that was six months before my surgery. So I, I think going through the process of actually facing that fear, it was yeah. the first time that I, and I had talked with my husband, you know, early on in our relationship because we have very, di- I had very different perspective around love and relationships and connection and intimacy than I, a lot of my friends. And he and I aligned on a lot of that early on. And I was, it was so fascinating to me. And I was like, yeah, she's super attractive, but you know, I never thought of that as anything, but just admiring a person. Right. Um, I never had felt or had allowed myself to feel that pull. And, mm-hmm. and what I've now learned about myself is that I also am demisexual, which I can talk about if, if people might not know what that is, but basically it's, it, it's where you don't tend to build physical attraction to somebody until you have an emotional connection with them. And that can be oh. built with somebody, you know, in a very short amount of time, like an evening where you just mm-hmm. like immediately are like, Oh, we're in sync. I see you, you see me cool. And it can also take months, you know, to actually build that up in a way that you want to open the door to potential intimacy. And what I realized is that, you know, that was a huge part of my story. And I always felt so much safer in emotional connections with men because I was really bullied and picked on by women growing up. Oh, interesting. So I, it's like, I never really allowed myself to even go there with women and the Mm -hmm. relationships I did and, and do have with women from a friendship standpoint, um, it was built in a time where I, it was so unconscious within myself that I didn't even consider the option of being intimate with them. You know what I mean? Right. right. It's been, it's been a wild ride for sure. Wow. Okay. So, oh my God, there's so much to unpack and I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so let's start with the different, just be for in case people are, you know, uneducated or just don't know, and this is all new to them. Let's start with the difference between bisexual and polyamorous. Yeah. So bisexuality just speaks to my sexual preferences. So I am attracted to all genders, you know, anyone in the spectrum. Um, and yeah, it's just about my preference really from a sexual standpoint, from an intimacy standpoint, polyamory speaks to the preference in terms of how you want to do relationships and how you love. And I think everyone in who identifies as polyamorous kind of has their own unique definition of it. I've at least found that in the community, but for me, what it looks like is just this, this capacity to love, you know, and this desire to not have any of my relationships, you know, needing to be boxed in like the potential for growth and, and to be able to, if it makes sense for a relationship to move into a more intimate space or a romantic space to do that without it being this big problem, right. This, this huge herring in the context of a relationship. And, you know, for me, like I didn't have the language attached to it until a few years ago, like about three years ago now, when I started my journey in polyamory and, and, you know, moved over from monogamy, but for the longest time, I always had these deep, intimate friendships, you know, and I never understood the capacity of like, or the, the whole the whole concept of like, you're my other whole, you complete me. You know, I was like, well, I'm a whole person, you know, like why, why are, why do I need another person to complete me? That always was really confusing to me, that verbiage. And this idea in like one soulmate like was really confusing to me. And I loved the Disney movies. Like I was brought up on all that shit, but you know, (laughs) for me, it was like, well, I have multiple people who fill that for me. And I can't imagine one person being everything for me for the rest of my life. Like, or, or even that just because somebody is romantically involved with me or I'm married to them or whatever, that they are inherently then more important than everyone else in my life. Right, right. And philosophically, that was always my path. And it really aligned with polyamory. And I was like, okay, cool. So philosophically, I'm in line with this. But in practice, like, how's this going to go? Yeah. Um, you know, and they're different things. And it turns out that in practice, it was also really aligned for me. But for many people, it's not. 
Right. Okay. So you're married. How long were you guys married monogamously? Yeah. Is that even the right word? Monogamously? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This is all new verbiage to me too. Um, How long were you guys married before you introduced the the thought of bringing other people in? Who was the person that brought it up? Like, tell me how that whole situation went. Yeah. So we've been together for 10 years. Um, I always like forget the timing of this. So we were married, we've been married for seven and we've been polyamorous for almost three. So I guess four years married, um, and you know, seven years together about, Mm -hmm. or yeah. Um, before stepping into poly and, you know, we, I always laugh that like within the first three months, I want to say we talked about the strangeness that is monogamy right? and, you know, also just the, the bizarre concept of this like unspoken, but very expected path that we as human beings are, you know, needing to go on. You, you, you know, date somebody, you really like them. You move in together, you get engaged, you get married, you have kids, you live a long life together absolutely nothing can go wrong. And then you die. And that's a successful relationship. Like that's what we deem as valuable. Right. And I've never understood that. I've always been very, you know, like perplexed by that concept. And we talked about it early on in our relationship, but I want to say that it started happening more in like 2016, 2017, you know, I was actively feeling like uh, my queerness coming to the surface, even though I didn't really want to admit it to myself, um, mostly because I still believed so much in like bisexuality is like the path to gay. And what does this mean? And like, how can I be bi and be married to a man? And like all of this stuff that is so programmed into our belief system, despite having grown up in a very liberal family Mm -hmm. and, you know, culture and all this stuff. And yeah, I, I started talking about it really openly with have my husband. And I was like, I'm having these fantasies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was basically how it started. And right. I was like, I really, and like, I want them to not be just fantasies, you know, like I want, I want to explore this. And he was like, okay, let's talk about it. Um, and he has a long history of like pretty terrible relationship experience before me where a lot of trust was broken. He was cheated on pretty intensely. So, mm. um, you know, it, there was, a lot of care that went into starting the process because that wasn't something that I had navigated personally. Right. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, he felt very taken care of and not, you know, that those weren't triggering experiences for him. Um, totally. So, you know, it was sort of a conversation topic for a while. And then it was like, a, let's go to a strip club and see how this might feel in this capacity mm-hmm. and do that together. And that was very exciting and very positive And, then it was like, okay, like if we were to meet somebody who might want to have a threesome with us, like right, let's, right. let's do it. And that didn't happen for a while. Um, wait, 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 let's go back to the strip club thing. So what did that look like? You guys went to the strip club and you would get a dance together and see yeah. like how that felt. Yeah. Like I had never really been in a situation with a woman before where, you know, there was any level of like, this is physical. This is right. like inherently sexual. sexual. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know how I'd feel in that capacity. And I also didn't know how I'd feel doing that with him. Right. And, you know, at the beginning it was very much a like, we're going to have a threesome. So I thought, I felt like it was a, a safe step into that experience to see mentally and, and emotionally how I might react and how he yeah. might feel. Um, so yeah, smart. it's smart to like, it's like baby steps. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, you know, I, like I said, I really wanted to, to take care of that experience. Yeah. Cause I, you know, there's always going to be shit that, that comes up that we have to work through, but I didn't know how I'd feel, you know, and I, I didn't know how he'd feel. And I had all these preconceived notions of how I feel. I thought I was going to be really weirded out by the whole experience. I thought the first time that we had a threesome, I was going to be like, ah! you know, and it was great. I was like, this is great. You know, like I have right. no qualms and I didn't expect that from myself. So you surprise yourself. So the first threesome you had was with another female. Yes. And how did you find that female? Yeah. So she was, she was introduced to us via a friend of Kevin's who is Polly. Mm-hmm. And she also, I think is now monogamous, but was Polly at the time and had been Polly for a few years and was actually like really wanting to date a couple interestingly enough. And so when, you know, Kev was talking to the one friend he had that was Polly about the things that we've been talking about, 
um, he was like, oh, you should meet this girl, you know, um, I think you'd get along. And so he introduced us and we started talking via text and then we had a, you know, a dinner date and got to know each other. And then the next time we all hung out, we ended up having a threesome. And that's kind of how that started. And initially I was very much like, this is going to be like a fun experiment thing right. and we're just going to have a good time and like more of like a friends with benefits situation. And I should have known that both myself and Kev are very like relationship people were very like full go in with everything yeah. kind of a human. And so very quickly was like, nah, this is poly. Like we're stepping into polyamory, I guess. Like, here we go. Door's been open. So, um, yeah, that happened. And yeah, I guess that was like almost three years ago now. Were there, um, like, did you guys have a discussion about rules of the threesome? Like, <laughs> this is what I'm not comfortable with. This is what I am comfortable with. Or was it just kind of like balls to the wall? Like, go for it, whatever you want. Yeah. You know, we're both very like, let's just see what happens kind of right. people. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of people ask me now when it comes to poly, like, what is the biggest regret you have? And I think for me, it was that we did jump in really fast into poly without not, I don't believe in rules personally, just as a, as a rule of thumb for myself, like I don't believe in rules. I think they're very limiting and I've spent so much of my life being limited by so many boxes that I refuse to do that moving forward. But I do believe in having, you know, checking with yourself and, and seeing where you at, are at from a boundary standpoint. And also if you're entering into any kind of, you know, ethical non-monogamy with a partner going in with some understanding of agreements so that your expectations are aligned. Um, we didn't do that. <laughs> but the first time that we had sex, I mean, we, like the only thing that, that was, was like condoms, you know, are going to be like, I would do that with any new partner in a monogamous sure. um, standpoint too. So that was, you know, probably the only thing we really talked about. And also we said, if at any time you're like, this is a hard no for me, then you will just say, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. And we will all stop. Right. And we'd had that conversation also with the woman, you know, before we yeah. started that process. So, okay. So yeah. what did, when you guys had that first experience with her, was it like, sorry, we're going to, we're going to go there. TMI, um, let's go. Was it like full <laughs> on, you know, like he was having sex with both of you. Mm -hmm. And then what were you and the girl doing? Also having sex with each other. Okay. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was very shared experience. It was fun. Right. Right. And did you, did you feel any type of jealousy when no. he was with her? No. And did he feel any type of jealousy when you were with her? No, which was very interesting. Like it's we both expected to feel something some level that, of weirdness. Yeah. yeah. Jealousy for me didn't really start. And, and for me, jealousy really only kind of, it didn't really look like typical jealousy. It looked like me feeling left out, you know, which is a, a personal kind of trauma of mine from, again, from more of my bullying years. Like I was yeah. always the like one excluded. So that's when that, those feelings started to come up. And it was actually about a year into Polly when we were in another triad, it was the second triad, not the first woman that I had mentioned before. And at the time I was really knee deep in rehearsals and my evenings were almost exclusively booked. So I didn't get as much time with her or them. Um, and they spent a lot of time together early on. Mm. So they developed this like pretty significant bond, the two of them. And I felt like I was falling behind and I could see them fostering this like really strong connection. And I just felt like, well, what about me, you know? Right. And I had been so excited. She was the first woman that I had ever been with that I was like really physically attracted to. And she didn't seem like at first she was mo I want to say more into me. And she's even told me since that that's true, you know, at the beginning, but quickly that changed and I could feel it and it was hard. And, uh, you know, it was also the first time that I was watching my husband like fully fall for somebody. Right. And, you know, there's this, there's this term thrown around a lot in the polyamory community, which I think should also just be thrown around generally speaking in relationships, which is new relationship energy. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, this concept where the first six months to a year of a relationship, like you are so enraptured with this person, yeah. it, you know, it's like people see it as the honeymoon stage, but yeah. it's, it chemically changes your system. And I was, you know, watching him experience that in a really intense way. And, you know, he made some decisions that were not what I would have really, I did not appreciate. And they hurt my feelings pretty intensely while we were wow. in that time. And it was hard. And so, yeah, I, I started to really experience jealousy, I guess, if you want to call it that during that 
period a little bit more. And how Um, did you guys handle that and then eventually get out of that? Yeah. Well, I was already in therapy, so that was huge for me. Um, and you know, I had him come with me to a couple therapy sessions, which was really supportive. Yeah. Um, and I also did a lot of the, the work myself to unpack where it was actually coming from. So I could speak because jealousy is a, you know, it's a top level emotion and there's so much under the surface of it. And for me, it stemmed from like a fear of abandonment and a fear of being replaced. Yeah. Um, and so when I was able to communicate that to him and, and express what some of my needs were and kind of set up some rituals for us to, you know, uh, maintain the security and the foundation of our relationship and make sure that we're feeling really supported during the process that got a lot better. Um, it did become a little more challenging (laughs) about five months in because she ended things with me, but not with him. And, you know, it came out of nowhere from my perspective. So I was really thrown and he was also really thrown because the dynamic changed immediately. And, you know, the, the relationship of the three of us dissolved. And so he was going, he was mourning that breakup. I was mourning that breakup and also the breakup of me and her. Right. And we were trying to figure out like how to cognizantly and kindly navigate him staying in this relationship with a person he didn't want to end things with, who was also my ex. And I was really upset at and mad at and hurt by. Wow. So yeah. So that process also brought up a lot. So, okay. So you guys are, uh, you date people together, like as a, as a triad. We have, yeah. We, we, um, we started that way, I think mostly because of how the first relationship kind of came to pass. And it sort of was like, oh, this feels comfortable and it's safe. And it's so funny because it's, I actually think we're dating in that capacity, like as a triad or a quad, if you have four people is like poly on hard it's so challenging. You're dealing with so many people's emotions and needs. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, like, I don't recommend it. Generally speaking, I think like some people, it can really work if it happens organically, but fuck it's hard. And, um, so now we date individually pretty much exclusively. I mean, if a relationship were to organically evolve into something like that, I'd be open to it, but it's just not what works for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it's evolved. So now you guys date other people just separately. So you have your marriage with your husband and then you'll have a relationship with someone. He can have a relationship with someone. Do you like want to know about that? Do you guys talk oh, yeah. about that? or Completely. Is it everything of- is on the table. Everything is open. We love hearing about it. I love hearing about him and his partners. And I know that I know he has a long-term, it's actually the woman that um, was my ex is still his partner. Um, and she and I are great friends and, you know, we, we talk, we have dinners, we, you know, have movie nights. Um, and anyone that I've dated has kind of joined that little polycule. That, dude, as we call I'm it. blown away. Like the level of human that you are to be able to <laughs> be like, yeah, um, she broke up with me. I was really upset and she's still dating my husband and uh, we're friends now. Like that's like some I mean, it took high a level while, shit. Though. It took a while. Like, I mean, we didn't really communicate for six months. Um, you know, and the breakup with her and I happened two months before we went into lockdown. So it was kind of a weird time (laughs) to navigate all of that, but honestly, like not being able to have her in my space, I think actually really helped support the process of healing. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, anybody that is a big part of my husband's life is somebody I want to know deeply, you know? Um, and in an ideal world, I, I will like, I, I mean, there's a, there's a way of operating in the polyamory world called t- kitchen table polyamory. And it's basically just where everybody that's within the polycule, you know, can hang out around a kitchen table and have a meal together and it's comfortable and it doesn't have to be all the time, but that's my ideal way of operating. Of course, like not everybody prefers that and that's totally their prerogative, but you know, I, I, the same way that I love, love having game nights with all my friends. Like, why wouldn't I want to have, you know, my partners and I want my partners to be friends with, you know, right. with my husband too. So ideally. So do you guys, now that you date individually, do you still bring third parties in to like bedroom situations? Yeah. It's not been that as much. Um, you know, again, I'm not like, I'm not somebody who is really hardwired for casual sex. I, I, it's just because of my demisexuality, it's like really tough for me to be in that space. So 
you know, it's weird where it's like, no, maybe if we were in like significant relationships with other people and we were also attracted to those people, but didn't necessarily want a relationship, maybe some of that might happen, but thus far it hasn't really been a thing that's been very, you know, massive. So. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm like, this is like a totally new way of thinking. And obviously like I've heard about polyamory before. Um, we had uh, a girl, a couple episodes ago um, named Whitney Miller, and she's done both monogamy and polyamory, but it's such a different perspective to hear someone who's so well-spoken about it and so confident in it, like speak about it. You know, it like the way that you talk about it kind of makes a lot of sense. It's (laughs) it's really, which is strange for my brain because that's never been something that I, I think I'm too jealous of a person, not well, I guess jealous isn't the right word. I don't know if I would be wired to operate yeah. that way with and the person I'm with. I didn't think I would be either, you know? And and I think there are some people who it's just not for at the end of the day. Um, but it, it also makes sense that you're like, well, fuck, like this sounds kind of normal, you know, cause it's, we've, we've been so programmed to believe monogamy is the only option. And frankly, that like the only other option is having an affair. Like Which that is, is what not great, obviously <laughs> firsthand, what that's like, yeah. and you know, that's what we've been taught is like acceptable by society. Like people are more comfortable, <laughs> especially on my TikToks. They're like, yeah, like what about like, well, aff- I like I had these affairs and it's like, whatever, it's fine. Like that happens. You cheat, you come back. And it's like, oh, but the concept of like actually choosing right this is so wild. Like, how can this possibly be ethical? And it's like, well, the whole for me, at least from my standpoint, the whole reason why cheating is so problematic is the lies. It's the deception. Yeah. It's that whole component. And it's like, I'm going into this with a fully open mind, heart, and eyes. Everybody is consciously aware of everybody, you know, I, you know, and some people try to use poly as like a excuse to cheat, which is hugely problematic. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just another way of doing relationships. And we've been so programmed to believe that it's wrong. And I I think that's my, my favorite thing to hear from my TikToks is like the way you speak about this just makes me feel like, Oh, this is just a a normal thing to do. And it really does. I mean, it really does. And I, it's wild to me that people can be like, Oh no, you know, why not just cheat or, you know, cheating's better, but that's the whole point of it. It's like, this is, hugely better than like lying to your partner, cheating to your partner, like all of that damage that's going to get done by those actions and is so not worth it and is going to end in a fiery fucking hell anyways. Like if two people are okay with that and can make that work, I've, I hugely support that. Like totally. Why would you not? Totally. And yet there is still this ingrained belief that like wanting that or acknowledging an attraction to somebody else, having the desire to have sex with someone else or build a romantic intimate relationship with someone else is wrong. And so it's easier to lie and cheat and, and deceive because you don't want to even open the door to the potential that you could maybe want that, you know, it's very interesting how people's brains work. And I've never been hardwired for that. It's yeah. such bullshit. Um, so do you and your husband, has it always been women or has there ever been men? Yeah. I, um, at first I think for me, I was like, so here for, you know, all the women ever, because yeah. I had never experienced that before. Um, and now, you know, I've dated men and women and non-binary folk and, you know, all, all of the people, um, and so, yeah, certainly men have, have been a part of the, the journey as well. I'm super open to really, it's just about the human and less about your right. Gender. Has your husband ever, does he have, um, like any feelings? Would he rather see you with a woman as opposed to a man? Yeah. Um, he's open to that. Generally speaking, I will say that my first relationship with a man, brought up some insecurity and jealousy that he wasn't expecting, mm-hmm. which I, you know, he was preparing himself for that process, but it's interesting how we, I think the comparison is easier for whatever reason, when you can identify like, Oh, that person, you know, could fill my shoes maybe. And he right. has a lot of trauma from a like abandonment and replacement side mm-hmm. of things. So I think that brought up and unearthed some of that, but he was really, really open about it from the get-go and, you know, understanding about the whole process and now they're great friends. So. 
Yeah. Wow. And he's, has he only ever been interested in dating women? Yes. Thus far. It's such a interesting concept to kind of like peek behind the curtain and see that you guys get on in there (laughs) that you guys have like successfully done this and been like happy and healthy and it's been like great for you guys yeah I will say like it's not all been like happy and yeah tell me about that stuff because it has to be hard (laughs) it's messy as fuck and I always say like polyamory is not for the weak of heart and it's for people who are willing to do the inner work you I mean like I don't know how anyone navigates polyamory without therapy frankly right um and I I don't know how anyone navigates life without therapy (laughs) truly truly but it really just put a flashlight on your inner wounds and you know a lot of I mean I've been doing coaching. I've been in the coaching world for six years. I do this work. I teach about fear. I, you know, I, this is my bread and butter. And I stepped into this world and I was like, Oh, I thought I had worked through this shit and there's so much more to unpack here. And it's, you know, it's always a constant process, but it definitely has, yeah, brought up a lot for us. And, you know, we've had a lot of really positive experiences and it's also been challenging, you know, and we've had to really work through that as a team. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it. I feel like there's not only, you know, the surface level of jealousy that would get brought up, but also it's it's a really quick way to dig into all those traumas and wounds that get brought to the surface really fucking quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're also, you're also seeing a person that you love and have built a very particular relationship with build another relationship with somebody else where their parameters are different and what that person brings to their life is different than what you bring to their life. And so it's like, Oh, oh, like, does that, do you want that? Like it's, it's also this interesting comparison that like is inherent and happens and yeah, there's a whole slew of things. Yeah. (laughs) So do you, do you guys have, you know, certain parameters of like, cause obviously you're the main primary couple. Is that the term for it? The primary couple? So in hierarchical polyamory, yeah, that is a term that is used is people will identify as primary partners or secondary partners. And there's also like tertiary or comet partners is also a term that can be used for people who maybe see each other like once a month or even once every six months and they're right. long distance. And it's kind of more of like a friends with benefits, but they consider each other partners. Got it. Um, we personally, you know, fall more in the camp of non-hierarchical polyamory. And I personally lean towards something called relationship anarchy, which is that there is no, just because I'm married to him and we happen to live together doesn't mean that anyone else isn't, is inherently less than and less Mm -hmm. valuable. That being said, you know, we have been together for 10 years and we have two dogs together and a home. And so there are, there is inherent hierarchy that exists within our relationship, but I really struggle to uh, equate somebody as less than him because right. I never have done that. Um, even in my monogamy days. And I also like see other people as much as I see him during the week. And most people, you know, it's like with my primary partner, like I know that like, they're going to get most of my attention and energy and priority. And they always kind of get the, like, if something's happening with both people that I'm dating, like they're going to get the priority in that circumstance. And right. that's not, that's not inherently true for me. Mm, okay. Interesting. So do you, like when you guys are out during the week with people that you're dating, is it like a, Hey, where are you? Are you coming home tonight? Is there ever like a, why have you not come home enough? No. Um, I mean, we usually have pretty significant, um, like we're pretty clear about like, Hey, I'm going to be at this person's place tonight. You know, I will probably text you if I'm going to stay over kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. um, just to like, let them know. Um, and the, if there's any, honestly, there aren't very many last minute things. Cause when you're poly, you have to schedule your Google calendars. Like nobody's business <laughs> people in the poly community always say like, what's the biggest skill that you've learned from poly? And it's like Google calendar is I'm our dead, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's true. And so, yeah, like we have pretty consistent date nights that are, you know, we try and do two, two date nights a week and those are always on the calendar and, you know, we're flexible with adjusting that, but yeah. And so basically it's basically just like, Hey, let me know if you're not going to be home and that kind of right, stuff. Right. What do you think for, I mean, let's just for, for the sake of argument, say that I was, you know, capable and open to <laughs> being polyamorous. Yeah. Um, what do you say to people that 
like, cause you know, I, I, I appreciate women. Um, I have hooked up with a girl in my college days. Um, I quickly found out it was probably not my jam. Um, yeah. but you know, what do you say if like, there's a couple and they're interested in having the conversation about polyamory and the guy, because I, I see this a lot when, you know, couples talk about threesomes, they're like, well, yeah, obviously I want to have a threesome with another girl. So what, yeah, what yeah, would you yeah. say if a couple was discussing it and the guy was like, yeah, I want to bring another girl in, but the girl was like, well, no, I'd want to bring another dude in. Like, how would yeah. that work? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it's a conversation and I think that's, you know, the way that we've been seeing, like, so we see threesomes, it's like always two girls and one guy, which I think is so fucked up in and of itself. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of, there's a challenge with men, especially early on having another man in the bedroom. There are very few men from my experience. There are very few men that seem like it feels very emasculating to them early on. I right. don't know. They just need to get their shit together and like figure, <laughs> figure, figure out how to like, I don't know how to, how to feel confident in themselves in that process, because we do that as women by bringing in another woman, like right. why is there a double standard there? Well, isn't but there I think always? <laughs> Truly, truly. So it's tough. It's one of the, it's a tough thing. And I think it takes a very special human to be able to off the bat, especially, um, be comfortable with that, you know, yeah. and at a certain point you have to also honor where a person is at, you know, I mean, there's no forcing anyone into doing anything they want, they don't want to do. Right. So, totally. I mean, and, and if at the end of the day, it's like, well, if you're not comfortable with this, I'm not going to do this. Then maybe having a threesome isn't right. for you. That's not the road to go down, <laughs> you know? And, and that's a totally, uh, you know, completely fine answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. does your, both of your families know about the dynamics they do. that you guys. Yeah. Have? They know that we're poly. Um, and you know, at first, like they were very shocked, <laughs> you know, cause Kevin, and I have like a very solid relationship. We've always been really, really great. And I think most people assume that people enter into any level of ENM from a couple standpoint, because there are problems, mm -hmm. you know? And I always say like, if you are having issues and you think that it will solve your problems, do not to do it. It's like having a baby to solve problems, right. just no work on your relationship. Um, it takes a very solid relationship to withstand polyamory from yeah. my experience. Um, but yeah. So when we told them they were uh, certainly, especially my parents, cause they're much more involved in our lives than his family is, but, um, it took some, and it has taken a lot of time for them to comprehend. I, they still don't really understand it, but they are accepting and supportive because they are the most accepting and supportive people in my life. Great. Um, that's good. You know, I mean, my mom is like, she listens to every podcast episode ever and I, I dish. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> um, but she definitely, um, has taken some time away where she's like needed to take a little bit more space sometimes to not be inundated in it so much. Yeah. I think she's, you know, struggles with that piece and that's totally fine. And she's, you know, and they've been very clear that like, if there's someone that's important in my life that I want to introduce to them, they would, they want to know them. Totally. So. Do you guys plan on having kids one day? No, probably not. I, you know, I, th I used to think I wanted kids in my twenties, but I, I think having all the BRCA stuff happened to me and that becoming a lot more of a complicated thing, um, started shifting my perspective around that. And mm -hmm. also like freedom and is one of my core values. And I just, I can't imagine a world where that gets removed for 18 years. Girl, I so hear you on that. Like I've always been like, yeah, I want, I want kids. I want one girl, one boy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. My whole life yeah. growing up just because I thought that that's what, and now that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm 32 and everybody's like, are you going to have kids? And I'm like, well, fuck dude. Like I'm not really ready to, and look, I know that like many, many women have careers and kids. I'm totally. not saying that at all. Um, I watched my mom do it my entire life, but like, 
I'm not ready to not be selfish with my life anymore. And that's Completely. what that takes. And we're taught as women that like we were put on this earth to have kids and like it is our birthright to be, to be, to, you know, to not be selfish and do that and be selfless. And I, I think that's bullshit personally. Like I think we're in a, we're in a time, especially where more and more women are choosing not to have kids. And I think it's empowering as fuck. And I wish more people talked about it openly because it's something that, I really struggled with coming to terms with because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to want this. Why don't right. I want this? You know? Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening. There are a lot of poly people who have kids, you know? Um, it's just, I can't imagine it for me. I wonder how they deal with that. Like I'm, they're eventually going to get old enough to start asking questions and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think they deal with it the same way that you deal with anything that you are navigating in your life and share with your kids, like openly, you know, I, I know a lot of poly parents who just talk to their kids about it, you know, they, I mean, then they treat their other partners, especially long-term partners, potentially live-in partners as, you know, co-parents. I think frankly, like I, if I were to ever have kids, I can't imagine doing it and not in a poly context, you know, like I need all the help I could get. It's like community (laughs) help with my child. So I can go do my shit, you know? Oh my God. I cannot. (laughs) That's amazing. You know? (laughs) Um, okay. So as we wrap this up, can you, if you had to give like one piece of advice for people that are like thinking about, you know, exploring polyamory, what would it be? I would say go slowly. Mm. It can be really enticing to jump all in. Um, it's exciting. It's new, especially somebody who loves novelty, which I'm raising all my hands. Like I, I had a really hard time with the idea of stepping into it slowly, but the more you can ease into the process for yourself, um, the more you will be able to actually know what feels good and the way in which you want to interact within the ENM space, because there's a lot of ways you can interact within it. And there's not one size fits all for anything in, in this world, but especially polyamory. So trust the process, go slowly, give yourself space to, you know, move through the feelings and the fuck ups because all of that will happen and just give yourself grace through the process. I love that. That's great. I mean, I feel like that's with anything that you're trying to do (laughs) in life, not just, you know, in your polyamorous. (laughs) Um, And where can people follow your, uh, your brilliant little self? Yes. You can find me everywhere at Amanda Catherine Loy, Catherine's at the K. Um, I'm on Instagram there, TikTok there, and also my website's www.amandacatherineloy. I also have a podcast, which Gabrielle was on. Yeah. Um, and that's Live Your Fuck Yes Life on iTunes and Spotify. And yeah, you can also find my book. Um, if you just go to my website, amandacatherineloy.com forward slash book, you can find it. It's on Amazon. And the title is I Chopped Off My Tits. Which I can't fucking wait to read. Um, and obviously, I totally identified the second you DM'd me about coming on your podcast because it's called Live Your Fuck Yes Life. I was like, oh, yes, I'll be doing this one. <laughs> yes, it is very aligned. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, thank you so much for coming on and being so open about this. This was so fucking interesting for me. So I hope everybody else was getting as much out of it as I was because it Hell was just, yeah. it's so great to, you know, obviously people can't see the beautiful woman that I'm looking at through my zoom screen, but you, you look and speak so put together. Like you're so not, (laughs) not what I think people would assume the stereotypical, if there even is one polyamorous woman looks like. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's really empowering to hear someone that's gone through so much and, is so put together and like knows her shit. That's like, no, yeah, this is what works for me. And like, let me show you my world. Yeah. And let me be clear that like what you're seeing is just confidence and like a self-awareness. It is not, I'm a messy for human. Like I am far from put together, but (laughs) I just, I've worked really hard to know my worth. And, you know, the reason I speak so clearly and so, you know, uh, confidently about this is because I believe it with every part and every cell and it feel it is fully me. And I think that's why you speak so beautifully and so clearly about all the things that you talk about on this podcast, because you also stand in that truth, you know, and I just wish more people had the courage to do the same. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I hope that everybody listening to this is going to take away that last little tidbit and start standing in your truth and knowing your worth. Thank you for being here, girl. I love you for having me. (laughs) Oh my God. I, I just adore her. I hope you guys will go follow her on social media and check out her book. I chopped off my tits and check out her podcast. 
live your fuck yes life with Amanda Catherine Loy. Okay, we are going to switch gears and dive into that part of the show, your FML stories. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. My name is Ashley, or A-Rod, as you probably remember me from my social media. And this is my FML story. I was married to a narcissist for five years. He cheated on me multiple times. Then the final time was while I was deployed. I ended up having to sort all the divorce stuff while I was deployed and ended my entire marriage, which obviously sucked. However, on my deployment, I did meet a guy, which was basically my Javier. He did and said all the right things. It wasn't until I got back home from my deployment that I found out he had gotten back with his ex-fiance. He ended up blocking me on everything, so we lost all contact. But somehow, the universe thought we should meet again, and I randomly ran into him in a state that neither of us even live in. And lucky for him, he was there with his new wife, who he had married three months after having been with me. Now fast forward to this new guy at work. I knew he was married, but he was really good at convincing me that he was in the middle of getting a divorce. We went out, had fun, he won me over, and I fell for everything. However, something was telling me that he wasn't being honest with me. His wife lives out of state due to her having a successful business elsewhere, but I found out that his wife is in town. And it turns out he was never getting a divorce. He was basically cheating on his wife with me. So I did my FBI research, I got her information, and told her everything. So now he's been exposed, yet I still have to work with him. I have yet to see him since I told his wife, so I don't know how things are going to be at work. And clearly there's a lot of crazy details that come in between all three of these men. This is just a summary of it all. I literally think I should write a book at this point. Of course I remember you, A-Rod, with your divorced AF t-shirt video. Um, girl, talk about one after the other. Uh, shit. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. And I'm so fucking sorry that the cheating was happening while you were deployed. I feel like that gives it an extra layer of uh, ouch when you find out about it. Um, so a big fuck you to your ex for that. And I hope that the woman or the wife that you ended up telling can look at the situation and be thankful to you for speaking up about that. Um, I've gotten DMs before where people are like, I just found out that the person I was with is, you know, is completely married or in a relationship. I don't know what to do. Should I tell them? And from going through it, like from speaking from personal experience, I 100% would have wanted someone to tell me um, that something was going on. And a lot of people knew about Daniel and the affair. Um, well, that's not fair to say a lot of people knew, but like his father knew for months and never said anything. Um, there were a lot of families that Daniel coached their kids um, who ended up finding out nobody ever spoke up and I was you know friends with a lot of them they were all at my wedding uh, it's crazy to me how many people can know information that you know would you know ultimately save someone uh, from going down a really shitty path and they don't speak up about it so I'm fucking proud of you for taking that information and closing the door with the guy and letting her know what's up. All right, here's number two. Hi, Gabrielle. My story with my narcissist started about 10 years ago. We met in 2011 and got married in 2013. He would have emotional affairs with other women and tell them that we were in an open relationship. I once confronted him about this and he convinced me that it was okay because he was deployed with the army and was lonely. If I ever held my ground too much, he would threaten suicide to get me to back off. Eventually, we had a baby girl, and he started drinking very heavily. There were times that he would wake up at about 4 in the morning and drink until he passed out that evening for multiple days on end. He was definitely an alcoholic, which fueled his narcissism like crazy. He eventually started making accusations that our daughter wasn't his and would threaten divorce. This happened on multiple occasions. We found out that I was pregnant with our second daughter, and he started with the constant verbal and emotional abuse. Around the same time, he had just lost his second job in one year and was going on drinking bingers constantly. He wanted to take our daughter to go get pizza, and I told him no because he had been drinking and, that, and he didn't have a car seat in his pickup. This set him off and he asked for a divorce, said our daughter wasn't his, insinuated that I should get an abortion since I had just found out I was pregnant, 
and then got mad when I said that I would take our daughter and go to my parents if that was what he really wanted. He took our firearm, loaded it, put a bullet in the chamber with my one-year-old daughter and I in the room, and then stormed out of the house yelling that what he was about to do was my fault. I called 911, and he got admitted to a mental health facility. Once there, he said he was better and that he was going to stop drinking because, again, that was the excuse. Over the next year, I dealt with him having a full-on emotional affair that eventually turned physical right in front of my eyes, which he convinced me was completely normal. He continued to hide his alcoholism, and all of this was on top of a very high-risk pregnancy that I could never express any of my feelings about. After having our second daughter, he got angry with our toddler and kicked in a door in our house. This was the first time that I left the house with the girls. He was actually arrested for domestic violence in that situation, but convinced me to come back home, and as soon as I got there, he flipped the switch to the entire thing being my fault. Over the next few months, it was countless threats from him, spews of insults, and countless affairs and lies. He got very drunk one night, and I had just had enough and wasn't taking any of his bullshit emotional abuse anymore, to which he responded by beating the crap out of me while our oldest daughter laid underneath me in her bed. He actually had me around the neck and by God's grace, let go. I grabbed my girls, ran to a neighbor's house, which is when he ran after us and continued to beat the crap out of me with both of the girls in my arms on the neighbor's front porch, full on MMA style. He was arrested. A no contact protection order was filed for both the girls and I against him, which has been a saving grace. And I filed for a divorce, which again, as you can probably guess, he tried to sway my decision on because he was going to change and he loves me. I have been the happiest I have been since I met him 10 years ago. He has made the divorce a living hell, refuses to admit that our daughters have been affected by the entire experience at all, and found every reason in the book to not sign the papers. It wasn't until I was completely out of the situation that I could fully see how messed up it was from the beginning to the end. My daughters and I are now safe, extremely happy, and in such a good place. I remember sitting on the floor one day while still in the marriage and thinking that I didn't even recognize myself, and I didn't realize that when I finally broke free, that it would be the best decision I had ever made. Damn, girl. I, I was listening to that, and my heart was, like, hurting for you. Um, the fact First of all, I mean, we've talked about this on FML Talk before. Domestic violence is never acceptable, ever. Um, man, woman, I don't care. It's never okay. Um, the fact that it was happening in front of your two little girls and when one of them was in your arms it is, is just unbelievable. I remember when we did Kelsey's episode and she mentioned, you know, being – thrown while she was holding her her newborn it just I I don't understand what can possess people to get to that level um and you know as far as the drinking as an excuse to me like I've had alcoholics in my family I've you know had my fair share of dealing with people that have alcohol addiction and I do understand that it is an addiction but it is not a fucking excuse um, if you are in a relationship and you are hurting your partner and your excuse is, well, it's because I'm drinking, then fucking stop drinking. Go to a rehab center, go detox and like put your family first. Ugh. And then, you know, as far as I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to watch him put a bullet in a gun and walk outside and then have him gaslight you and say, what I'm about to do is your fault. That's just the lowest of the low to to put on somebody's conscience. I, I can't imagine. I'm so glad that, you know, whatever needed to happen for it to come to a head, I'm so glad that it did because you deserve so much more safety and love and care than that. And Ugh, girl, the lessons that must have come from a relationship like that that lasted so long. I am so, so happy that you and your girls are safe. And thank you so much for sharing that story. Speaking of narcissists, <laughs> next week, I know a lot of you guys have been really excited for this episode, so I bumped it up in the queue 
we have Lee Hammock coming on, and he is a self-aware narcissist. And some of you listening are going, Gabrielle, what the fuck does that mean? Of course, a narcissist can't be self-aware. There's no such thing. Um, but there is, and he is one. So he started making TikTok videos about a year ago and has been building a following once he was told by his wife that he was a narcissist and he started researching it and Googling it and went to a therapist and ended up being diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And since then, he has been trying to bring awareness to what narcissism is, um, the inner workings of how a narcissistic mind works and giving examples so that people can really learn what the signs are and what gaslighting is and everything that it entails when you are dealing with a narcissist. I urge you guys to to check him out on TikTok because his videos are explained so well and so clearly. You'll be like, oh, that's what's been happening. <laughs> That's what that means. And it's a really, really great example of what to look out for. So if you want to get a jump start on who you will be hearing from on next week's episode, his TikTok is at mental healness. So instead of mental healthness, it's mental healness. Um, I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. It was really interesting to be able to sit down and talk with someone about being a narcissist and ask all the questions that you guys had submitted of all the things we got to discuss. And it was incredible to take a peek behind the curtain of what that mind looks like. Um, it's going to be a good one. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. Come join us on the subscription. It is worth it just for the Facebook page and seeing how many of you have joined this community and are lifting each other up and finding this as like a safe space. I am so happy to have you all here and the mini uncut bonus episodes you guys are so fucking fun. I mean we talk about when I lost my virginity and and my bachelorette party, things I have never talked about publicly that are too wild to be on the actual podcast. We have repeat guests come on like Lauren Denham to talk about fuckboys, new guests like actor David Blue. It's just a fucking party. So if you have not signed up for the subscription yet, you can go to patreon.com slash fmltalk and join us for $5 a month. Until next week, guys, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.